God, as we have sensed your presence and have experienced your Holy Spirit in our midst, we pray that you would just remain, remain in this place as we transition, Father, in this time to your word for these next few moments. We ask, Lord God, that you would impress your glorious truths upon our hearts. Help us to continue to witness Christ. We want to know him. We want to know him on a personal level, on an intimate level. God, we know you can do this. Thank you for this time of worship. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, 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 amen. You may be seated. Our text for this Sunday morning's worship service is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians in chapter 3. We'll begin reading from verse 12 to the end of the chapter, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. It's good to see you all this day. You all look good. Amen. You're welcome. The Bible reads, since we have such a hope, if we could say such a hope, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not just kind of bold, very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the, out, at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Verse 15, yes, to this Day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the reading of God's Word. It used to be a tradition that was said. I don't know if you knew that in the church's history. A preacher would say, this is the reading from God's Word, and God's people would say, thanks be to God let you know. Let's, why don't we try that? We don't have to do that again next Sunday. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was just a way of honoring God's word. They made the people stand up during the reading. Come on. Yeah, you know, I'm, I've gave it to you. I'm just playing. What exactly is it that you would like to change? Were you asked that question at any point in time? If you were asked to change, or let me put it a little differently. Let's say I gave you that assignment to leave this place and to go look for some people. 
Maybe if you're a university student, folks on campus. Just stop anybody randomly. Just take maybe 20 people in a given week. Or maybe if you're, if you're a career man or a career woman, you, you go to work on Monday and take advantage of your, your break time and, and ask them. Just If you could change anything, what exactly is it that you would like to change? Or maybe you could take this to your spouses or your family or anybody. What would you imagine would be the sort of responses that you would get? Perhaps some of the responses would be, I would love to get a nose job, or uh, I would love to drop some of this weight that I got, or I would love to pick up some more weight. I would love to get a little bit more yoked. I would love to get out of this marriage. I would love to be in a marriage. I would love for these kids to move out. I would love to have a couple of kids. I would love to have a job. I would love if I could find a way to get out of this job. What exactly is it that you imagine would be the responses from the people that you would have a chance to ask, what would you like to change? If you noticed, with just a few examples, we could do this for 20 minutes, that I gave just right now, there are a lot of responses. But you notice the common denominator? In every one of those cases, a lot of times, it has something to do with either something around the person changing or something attached to the person changing. Never in any one of those responses Did you notice the person themselves changing regardless of whether or not things about them changed or things around them changed? But you know what? I bet you, if I bet it, I bet you that would be the kind of responses. It's very tempting, isn't it? And it's very easy to want to see things around us change without any view toward ourselves. But you know what's interesting? It's not only important to ask, what would you like to change? It's also important from God's standpoint, how exactly is it that you would like to see changed? Why do I say this? Because for us as God's people, for us as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, for any sort of change to take place in our life, our agenda for change has got to be aligned with God's agenda for change. Why do I say that? For this reason. I'm just unpacking this a little bit, and we'll go to the text. God's agenda is Jesus. If I could put it a little differently, God's agenda for change in my life and in your life pathway is Jesus. Maybe I could go a little bit further, Hanok. God's agenda for change in your life and my life is for you and me to look more and more like Jesus. Whether those things change in that marriage as quick as you want or not. Whether that job situation adjusts to your satisfaction or not. God's agenda for change for you and for me, friends, is for us to look more and more like Jesus. Why do I say this? Because if you can catch this, it'll save you a whole lot. Of havoc. Not because I'm saying it, but because as we'll discover in just a moment here, God's saying it. That's the most important thing. Not what I have to say, but what God has to say. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time in God's Word, and I'm just setting it up. Because, look, I've, I've been pastoring for quite a while, and I've had to sit this close with people in closed doors, with marriages on the way to divorce courts, with kids and parents on the way to having each other's throats, with young men on the way to attempted suicide, if not successful suicide, 
with people on the way to depression and loneliness and ongoing disappointment because things at the job aren't going as they like. And a lot of times what I notice is, and I'm glad we, we quoted Psalm 73, which is, if, if, if I got another tattoo, it would probably be Psalm 73 if it was a text. I mean, that's, you probably have heard me in my, in my pre-service prayers. I love Psalm 73 because what's interesting, if I, this wasn't even in the notes, but I'm just going to work it in. What's interesting about that man Asaph in Psalm 73? We just quoted two verses. <laughs> He may have said, whom have I in heaven but you? And what is there to be desired upon this earth besides you? My heart, my flesh may fail, but you, O God, ever remain the strength of my life. But he didn't start out that way. He started out the chapter, Psalm 73, by saying, man, my feet had nearly slipped. I almost got caught slipping is what he was saying. How so? I started paying attention to other people who had stuff going on with their life that I didn't have yet who were living certain ways that I couldn't live. And then I went a little bit further, and I started paying even more attention. I started visiting different people's Instagrams with blue check marks. Right? If I could modernize it a little bit, if you'll allow me, permit me. I started scrolling through the favorites, which you shouldn't do, right? I started going through my search section, which I started going through one person's story after another. So then what happened? (laughs) It wasn't fun at all. So what happened? I just, all of a sudden, I increasingly grew in depression. And I started looking at my life, and I started being disappointed with it in ways I never felt this way until, note this, comparison kills contentment. Comparison kills contentment. If I ever had to preach from Psalm 73, that would be the title of that message. It just came to me right now. Comparison will kill contentment. It will. It will. Why? Because our agenda is not God's agenda. When he ended the psalm, praise God, his agenda was aligned with God's agenda, which is why that psalm was able to end with that sort of crescendo. But the way it started is he started making his agenda other people's agenda. Oh, he got that car? How come I don't have that car? He got married that quickly? How come I didn't get married that quickly? She already has this number of kids before she at this age? How come I don't have that? He knocked out that debt by the time he reached this point? How come I don't? He landed that job immediately after he got out of school? How come I'm still submitting applications? And I went to this school. Comparison will kill contentment. So God's agenda for change has got to be our agenda for change. Enough. Let's look at the text. Paul here, in verse 12, is actually reaching back to the Old Testament, and he's juxtaposing, setting side by side, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The realities that existed with the people of God under the law versus the realities that existed with the people of God under the new covenant of the Spirit. And he puts the two together. And he talks about, beginning in verse 7, about Moses We don't have time to go there, but you'll remember Moses at a point in time, remember God delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. For 400 plus years, they were in bondage. They were in slavery to another nation and to another master. Their identity was wrapped around being slaves. They'd never known what it had meant to be free. And so God, out of mercy and out of grace, shows up single-handedly, uses Moses as his instrument, and delivers them out of the land of Egypt. 
all to portray and to picture a spiritual lesson for all of us, and that is our redemption. You and I were slaves to this world, we were slaves to sin, and we were slaves to our own flesh until Jesus showed up in our life, until the good news of the gospel came to us wherever we were. And we heard the good news of the, of the gospel, not only concerning ourselves without Jesus, but what our lives would be like if we gave it to Jesus. And we did. And God delivered us. God brought us out of slavery. God brought us out of Egypt, if you will. We no longer love the world. Why? Because of the love of the Father is in us now. We no longer have a desire to want to live for the things of this world. We want to live for God and for the things of God. And then what God did after he redeemed them was he gave them what? His law. It was there at Mount Sinai, you could find this at your own time in Exodus chapter 34, where God invites Moses up as the people of God's representative to be able to commune with God. Almost a picture of what we see in the New Testament where the heavens are rent, Jesus comes out of the water, and the Father has his words for his son. In the same way, Moses is typifying the Lord Jesus to come. Jesus is the greater Moses. He's the greater prophet that Moses was talking about. And here Moses is. And the Bible talks about glory around this ministry of death, verse 12. This verse 7, this ministry of death. The law. Why? Because there's thunder, there's there's lightning, uh, there's trumpets, uh, the earth is shaking. Um, This mountain is quite a large feat, and here God is, and his voice apparently is being heard even audibly. There are a number of cases where God is audibly heard. We see that with Samuel. We see that here with Moses. We see it with Saul on the road to Damascus. We see that in a few cases where God, when he wishes to, will communicate, and he does, but it's not like he whispers. It's thundering, so much so that the people are like, look, yo, Moses, we're not going up there. We don't want to see him. We don't want to talk to him. Why don't you go? And you tell us what he wants to tell us, and we'll hear it from you. So he does. And he receives this law, these commandments. And Paul refers to the commandments written on tablets of stone that Moses received for the people of God. Now that we belong to the people of God, God says, now that you're my children, it's almost like if I adopt you into my house, in addition to my other four kids, I need you to know how things are run here. Right? You're in Neb's house now. You're my child. This is how things operate. And you're no exception. In the same way, God is saying, you, you belong to me now. Now I want you to know what I'm like. So the law does a number of things. The law reveals the character of God. By reading the law, you can know something of what God is like. Outside of that, God is spirit. You can't. And so he, he codifies it on the tablets of stone as an expression of who he is in his essence. The second thing that the law does is it helps us know how we're supposed to live our lives. You can't live like that anymore. You used to live like a slave. Now that you belong to me, you're my children, you're to, as Peter puts it in 1 Peter 1, be holy even as I, the Lord, am holy. And so we're supposed to walk in a manner according to that of children. And so he gives us his law. But the third thing the law does is It shows us our utter inadequacy to be able to live up to the law in and of ourselves. And therefore, it drives us to the arms of Jesus. That's why Paul in Galatians 3 refers to this same law as a schoolmaster. What did schoolmasters do? They lived in the house, not quite like slaves, 
Um, they're like in, in Ethiopia, you have these, this, there's an Amharic term, Beit Siratinya. It's, it's someone who's in the home, home worker, literally. So there's somebody who is not a slave, they're part of the house, they're not biological, and, and they benefit and the home benefits. And they almost play a surrogate role for a part of the day for the parents. In the same way, you had schoolmasters during these Christians' day that would take the kids to school, that would bring them back, that would get them started with their homework, and that would help them up to a point, but they wouldn't do anymore because at the end of the day, they weren't the parents, nor were they the actual teachers. The law is the schoolmaster. You don't go to it to get saved. You don't go to it to change. You don't go to it to get what only Jesus can give you. It brings you to a point, and it's a schoolmaster that leads you to Christ. That's why Paul here calls it a ministry of death, carved in letters of stone. In other words, if you try to relate to God and base your relationship with God on the basis of the law alone, it's only going to be death, death, death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. It's death. We can't. The law is good, Paul says in Romans 7. I'm not knocking it. Don't get me wrong, because Paul was talking about, man, I'm struggling. The things I want to do, I can't do. And the things I hate doing, I end up finding myself, strangely enough, doing. Now, don't get me twisted, Paul is saying. I'm not trying to say anything about the law. I'm not trying to discredit it. I'm just trying to say, when I try to comply, when I try to live my life out according to God's will, based on the law alone, it didn't go well. But the law by itself, in and of itself, it's good. Why? Because it came from God, and everything that comes from God is good. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, and the law came down from above. And so what is he saying? He's saying this. The, that's why the ministry of the Spirit had to come. Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 talked about this. They anticipated this new covenant that would show up that would overthrow the old covenant. This ministry of the Spirit that would overtake the ministry of death or condemnation. Where Ezekiel says, your heart of stone will be taken out and God will replace it with a heart of flesh. And then God will put his spirit within you so that you might be able to walk continually in his ways. Which means you'll not only have God's law, but you're going to have God's Holy Spirit to be able to know how to actually live out the law. You see, sometimes we say the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. That's here. But it's, it's not the difference of the Bible and the spirit. The letter the letter here is this. It's this attempt to want to try to relate to God apart from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit didn't come to negate the law. The Spirit came to complete and to fulfill God's Word in our lives so that we would have what we need to be able to actually live a life pleasing to God. And so, my question. He says... We need to turn to the Lord, though, to be able to experience this sort of change in my life. Who wants to change? Who wants to see a change? I, I want to see change, big or small. So then what happens when we turn to the Lord? We see four things here, real quick. Verse 12. Number one, we, we experience freedom through the Spirit, verse 17. We experience freedom through the Spirit, verse 17, 16 and 17. But when one turns to the Lord, what's removed? The veil is removed. 
when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The question is, what am I turning to? What am I turning to? When one turns to, there's a lot of stuff that a lot of people are turning to today. That was me at one time. And that's me, sadly, when I'm living the way I ought to, even as a Christian. Amen? Notice, Paul didn't say when one turns to his bottle, the veil is lifted. He didn't say when one turns to his drugs, the veil is lifted. When one turns to sex outside of marriage, the veil is lifted. When one turns to marriage, the veil is lifted. When one turns to school, when one turns to money, when one turns to the opinions of others, there's a lot of people turning to all sorts of stuff which accounts for why that veil is still unremoved. The only thing that's going to remove the veil is the Lord and our turning to it. We can't afford to turn to all sorts of other stuff. Why? Because we'll never be able to see what's on the other side of the veil, which is what we'll get to in a second. What are you turning to today? It's very easy to turn to to games, to turn to be entertained, to turn to be in a large crowd where there's a lot of noise so that I don't have to focus on what's going on in my life. It's very easy to turn to her because Jesus ain't cutting it right now. It's very easy to turn to him. There's some people who shouldn't be married tomorrow because we've not dealt with what's going on in his or her life yet. And the last thing we want to do for ourselves is enter into a covenant of that sort. What we need to do is turn to the Lord. There's some people who are thinking, if I could just land that career, if I could just get out of this job and into that one, that's going to be my cure-all. That's my magic pill. And God, God says, I didn't say when, when you turn to that. No. Again, God's agenda has got to be my agenda. Left to myself, oh, it's tempting for me to want to think, oh, no, what I need is a man right now like that. Or like what I need is a woman. What I need is, what I need is, and when we start making our agenda trump God's agenda, that's when we get ourselves into all sorts of trouble. And believe me, it doesn't end right there. It just compounds with another problem and then another problem. It's like lying. You ever try to lie and then all of a sudden you're trying to cover? Now you got to lie on top of that. And then you got to, the only way is when you come clean. In the same way, God is saying, look, the only way we could deal with this is when we turn to one person, and that's the Lord. That's the only way the veil is lifted. Moses had a veil in Mount Sinai. That veil helped him to be able to deal with the glory of God that radiated from his life. The people couldn't stand to see God's glory. And so he had a veil that helped them be around him even though he had that encounter with God because they weren't ready for God yet. They weren't ready for God to hit them like that. They weren't ready for God to move in their life in that way. They saw the glory of God in a fearful way. They saw the glory of God as something to be fearful of and to stay away from. Many people are like that in, in Dallas, in the world, in our lives. There are many people who aren't in church today because of that very reason. There are many people, though you've, you've asked them, though you've invited them, they still have not taken you up on that. There are many people who will not open this book even though it's in their drawer because of this. Why? A lot of what's going on in our life scares us and causes us to wrongly interpret what God is like. 
It's not that there's something wrong with God. It's that there's something wrong with me beholding, wanting to behold God. What's a veil? As I was studying this, I was thinking, veil, veils, veils cover, uh, veils conceal, a veil, we see it on brides, we see veils over gifts, we see veils over something that we're not quite ready to reveal yet, and then we, we lift it. Veils have a way of creating a separation between whatever's on that side and whatever's on this side. Veils prevent us from knowing everything, even though we may know something. Veils conceal. What's this veil concealing is the question that I had. It's concealing the glory of God. So then if we don't have veils like Moses literally had a veil over his head, what's our veil? I'll tell you. Our veils are our excuses that we keep giving to ourselves and to God. Our veils are our reasons that we keep providing ourselves as a way out. with. Our veils are lies. Our veils are pretenses. Our veils are those things that we keep either allowing ourselves to hear and to believe or we keep telling ourselves. What's the problem? The same thing in every one of those cases. They prevent us, the veils, the excuses, the lies, the reasons. They prevent us from seeing what? What's on the other side of the veil? The glory of God. The glory of God. And what's the only way I'm going to be able to see the glory of God? By turning to a bottle? By sitting in front of Netflix? By season eight, Game of Thrones? By video games, five hours a day? By chasing skirts? By clubs? By Friday nights? By just living my life any old way? No. What do I, I can't turn to that. What do I have to turn toward? The Lord. It's as one turns to the Lord. That stuff. It's as one turns to the Lord. Not Pornhub, not RedTube, not X, not whatever you would be embarrassed of. No, it's as one turns to what? The Lord. You turn to all that, to that other stuff, guess what? The next morning, the veil is going to still be there. And we wonder, like, I'm not getting this church stuff. I don't know. I tried it, but it just didn't work for me. For others, maybe. It's like I tried to read it, but it was just hard. It's like nothing really came out of it. I tried to go to church, but I didn't get anything out of the message. I'm not too, too sure. It's like I didn't profit. I just felt like I, I'm, I'm better off doing something else with my time. I, and we, remember, what's a veil? Excuse. It's a reason. And it's not just that we're providing ourselves with it. We're buying into it. And so long as we do so, we keep ourselves, we prevent ourselves from ever beholding the glory of God. Where do we see the glory of God? In Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. The, way, the place that we see the glory of God is in the face of Jesus. And the only way we're ever going to see the glory of God is by turning to Jesus. Turning to That's just verse 16. Verse 17 is where we're ending. We experience freedom through the Spirit. Verse 17. Now the Lord, though, that Lord, that God, is the Spirit. And where the Spirit 
of the Lord is there's freedom. There's freedom. Notice the word that he used in verse 12, boldness. Same cousins, same relationships, same family of words as we see in verse 12 and as we see here in verse 17. Boldness and freedom go hand in hand. It's like hand in glove, if you will. Boldness and freedom. When does boldness and freedom come in your life and in my life? When the veil is lifted and we're in the presence of God. Because until and unless that veil is lifted, I'm, I'm away from the presence of God. I'm not drawn near to the presence of God. The only way I can get into the presence of God is when that veil is lifted. And the only way I can get into the presence of God is as I turn to the Lord. And that Lord is the Spirit. And once I do, there's freedom. You see, when you find yourself in God's presence, this is what he died for. This is what he secured your salvation for, is so that you might experience the joy of being free and bold to be his witnesses, to be his children, to be his disciples. The reason why we can lack freedom and we lack boldness to want to represent Jesus and to want to live for Jesus is because we've allowed a veil to continue to exist in our lives and in our relationship between us and God. And so all we got is religion. We don't have a relationship. We don't have a relationship where God is in my life and I'm in his life. And until and unless that veil is lifted, and the only way the veil could be lifted is if I quit buying into the reasons that either others give to me and I buy into, or I give to myself and I still buy into. That's where it's got to stop. That's where the fight is. That's where the warfare belongs. And that's where you, have, you and I have got to win. And it's a daily battle. It's a daily battle. There's constantly things that are so much more convenient. It's so much more convenient to call him because, I mean, he's on the contact list, and he did say anytime. It's so much easier to just hit her up, send a little text. What you doing? How's it going? What you up to? It's so much easier to just sit down and binge on a whole season of Netflix. It's so much easier to just, where the guy's at? Let me just hit him up. Oh, we over here. Just come on through. All right. And you know everything else that that results in because you know what's going on over there. You can't just be there. you got to be there doing what they're doing. And it's so much easier to turn to all this other stuff. And God is saying, look, I know it may be easier, but I know at the end of the day, that's not what you want because that's not what you were made for. That's not what I saved you for. I've called you for far more. I've called you to reflect me and my glory. You see, when Moses came down radiating the glory of God, where it was oozing out of him, it was just a remarkable experience. It was a picture of what the entire world, all of humanity, was supposed to be about. We just don't know it. We're so used to life as it presently is. And when we see somebody like Moses, we're scared. That's why when we see somebody who shows up on fire for Jesus, it's like, I like it, but I don't kind of like it because I'm not too sure I'm ready to change. And it's like, oh, it's just too urgent, and it's calling for too much. I've got to think about stuff. I've got to take responsibility, and I know where this is going to head, and I just can't have this and have what he's talking about. And it's like we like people on fire, but we don't want to be close to it. In the same way, when Moses was coming down, it's like something about that seems like it's right. 
Like, that's the way it should have been. But strangely, there's a part of me that doesn't want it. But there's a part of me that does want it. Who are you going to listen to, though, is the question. Are you going to listen to the voice that best represents what you were really made for? Are you going to listen to the voice that merely represents just how things have been, whether or not that's right? This is that day to change. You lose nothing by turning to the Lord. You lose everything by turning to anything that's a substitute to turning to the Lord. Everything. And Paul says here, not only do we experience freedom through the Spirit, we display God's glory. We display God's glory. In verse 18. He says here, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Notice he said beholding. Some of your versions may say reflecting. It's actually both. It's both beholding and reflecting the glory of God. In in order for me to be able to be uh, somebody who you can see God out of, I've got to first spend time with God. That's why it should be beholding. I should behold. Everything begins with gazing upon God. It's, It's amazing how... You've seen this with kids. You've, you've probably, you and I have seen this growing up. Maybe it's true even now. It could be. I see this with my boy and with my girls. They'll find an episode or they'll find a program or some superhero or some new thing that's out now. And all of a sudden they're watching it, catching every episode they can. And it all starts that way, right? Just taking the time to sit down and just stare. But after about a week or two, about 15 episodes... All of a sudden, I see them on the couch. I see them all throughout the house getting all sorts of stuff that have nothing to do with it, kitchen utensils and acting out what they saw. They are becoming what they've been spending the last two weeks staring at. You know what? In a very odd way, if you'll allow me, that's what I believe it's like with our relationship with God. It's if you want to start being like God all out in the city and in the world and in life, You've got to spend time staring at God because sooner or later, it not only works with God, it works with anything. Why? Because that's our DNA. That's how we were made. We were made. We were designed to reflect. The Bible says God created us in the image of God. Image means mirror, which is to say reflect. We were created to not only know God, but to share in his glory and to be his earthly representation while we're here on this earth. We were made to rep him. God don't have no billboards. He doesn't have a Facebook page. He doesn't boost ads and push them out and promote them. He doesn't, he doesn't have a, an Instagram public figure site. He doesn't have a website. He doesn't have banners, posters. What does he have, folk? He has average people, men and women like you and me. We're his ad. We're his page. And to the degree to which you and I are staring at him, Spending our time gazing upon his glory, looking at him, acquainting ourselves with him, guess what? When it comes time for us to hit the streets and be out and about, we bring that with us like Moses brought it with him when he came down the mountain. Wherever we go, there's no secular, sacred divide. There's no, we're the, because when we don't do this, we're clever. We know how to do church. Notice he didn't say, but when one turns to church. Some people, they think they're turning to the Lord, but they're just turning to church. They just got a little church in them. That's it. They just want to do church, but that's not turning to the Lord. Doing church will do you fine on a Sunday, but it does nothing for you on a Monday and a Wednesday and a Thursday when you really need to be representing him. The only way that's going to happen is by us beholding him. 
Why? Because that's when we start reflecting him, which is the very reason for which we were made. Thirdly, we become like Christ, and we see that there in verse 18 as well, where he says there, are being transformed into what image? The same image. Whose image? The Lord's, Jesus Christ's. We're turning into that image. Remember, God's agenda has got to be my agenda. And what's God's agenda? Jesus. What's God's agenda? That I look like Jesus, that I become like Jesus. And so as I behold God, as I go about reflecting him and his glory, I am transformed or changed into that same image. The very thing I'm spending my time staring at, gazing at, being with is the very thing I become like. It's very interesting. I just met um, one of my pastor uh, friend's um, family. I've been praying with him last Friday, one Friday a month. I, I pray together with about 10 pastors. And we just had a chance to finally meet each other's families. We, we always get together at 6 a.m. to pray. And I had a chance to meet this guy's kids. And he has three boys and two girls. And here I am, he's lining them up to, for me to introduce, um, for him, so that he can introduce them to me. And I had a chance to kind of just talk with them and play with them. I'm like, oh, this is creepy. He's just like you. It's like, I see it. Even the mannerisms. Even all the ways he's acting. It's like, it's like a little mini version of you. And he's like, I know, I know. Everybody's always telling me that. It's like, that's creepy. But it's just amazing how it just transferred. Why? I mean, he lives in the same house. He has to spend his time around his dad in the same way. That's what it should be like with us. We're a product of what we spend our time staring at. And the more and the more we stare at God, behold God, witness God, gaze at God, guess what? We're going to end up being transformed into that same image. Paul, lastly, he says here, this is important because a lot of times people say, well, okay, but I've tasted God. I've seen his glory. I've witnessed his hand in my life, and I, I believe something different has taken place in my life, but is all of that supposed to be taking place all at once? Because if it is, whoo, I've got a lot of questions. It's one thing to come to Jesus. It's another thing to be like Jesus. It just takes one moment to belong to Jesus. It's going to take an entire lifetime to be like Jesus. Salvation may cost you nothing, but your discipleship is going to cost you everything. You with me? What does Paul say here? Fourthly, we're changed with ever-increasing glory. Verse 18b. He says here, are being transformed into the same image from one degree, notice that, from one degree of glory to another. One degree of glory to another. In other words, you don't become like Jesus all at once, which is why we need to give space to one another. We need to be a church that offers grace to one another. If we're married, we need to be couples that, that give space for the other person to develop and to grow. If, if we have kids, we need to realize that they're not going to be like we want, just like that. We need grace. Why? Because even though that they may have been touched by Jesus, even though they may have come to God, even though they may know God, they're still in process. God sees them as in process. I need to see them as in process. Ever-increasing glory. You see, I may not be <laughs> what I ought to be right now, but hallelujah, I'm not who I once was. 
That's the good news of the gospel, is that there is change in your life. Don't beat yourself down so much and know that, look, God has done work in your life. The one who began a good work in your life, what is he doing? He has every intention on bringing that good work to completion. He's going to do it. Why? Because his name is at stake here. And he doesn't matter. He doesn't care how long it's going to take. He doesn't care how much challenges, what sort of routes you got to take. We're going to get there because he's got a vested interest. All things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He wants to conform you. Why? This is his agenda. God's agenda is Jesus. And so long as God's agenda is Jesus, no matter how long this is going to take, it's going to take a lifetime. He's in it. He ain't pulling out. Know that that's your God. He's faithful. Amen? Praise God. God's good. God's good. And he's working. And I want you to know, look, this change is taking place in your life. You have every reason to believe that God has a vested interest in wanting to see your life transformed in ways that you would have never, ever imagined. But where does it begin? By turning to the Lord. And maybe that's a place where some of us here in this room need to begin. Maybe that's a place where we need to begin to take a look at our lives and see, where, exa- where exactly have I cheated myself out by trying to attempt to turn to all sorts of other... I'm turning, but when I, just, when, when I get to the point where I look at what I'm turning to, it ain't the Lord. <laughs> it ain't Jesus. It's something else, but it's not Jesus. That's where our problem is. But God's prepared to help. That's the good news. God's prepared to step in. God's prepared to say, well, I'm here. I ain't going nowhere. Let's do this. Let's do this. Because every day is an opportunity. Every day is a new beginning. Today is the day of salvation. Not just for the person who needs to come to Christ to begin with, but even if we need to come back to Jesus, there's always a fresh opportunity to return to the Lord. Like we sang about, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus said. That was primarily written to Christians who weren't turning to the Lord. They were turning to other stuff in Revelation. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If you would just open the door and invite me in, what will I do? I'll fellowship with you and you with me. He says, if you'll just turn to me, if you'll just be prepared to believe for a change, that what you get with me far exceeds, far outweighs whatever it is you could get with anything else, you're on your way to seeing me show up in your life and bring a change about that you could have never produced on your own. Let's pray. Can we stand if we could? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, we come before you right now. Thank you that we're no longer under the ministry of condemnation. Thank you, Lord God, that we're no longer under the mere letter of the law. Thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit. Thank you that that Spirit lives within us. Holy Spirit, thank you that we could commune with you. We could talk to you. We could look to you. We could be comforted by you. We could know you. We could be empowered by you to be able to live lives that we would have never been able to imagine ourselves living. That's all for us because we belong to you. God, you blessed us. God, thank you that we belong to you now. Thank you that the glory we get a chance to witness is not a fading glory like the people of old. It's an enduring glory like Paul put it. 
Thank you that the glory that we get a chance to behold, it's not a glory that shows up but then goes away, like in their case. In the New Testament, the Bible tells us this glory is here to stay. Jesus, you're that glory. That glory is a person. Lo, I'm with you. How how much? Always. For how long? Even to the end of the age. You're not going anywhere. It's you, Christ. Christ in you, the Bible says, the hope of glory. Hope of glory. This is ours. And so, Lord God, I just pray right now, burn away all sorts of substitutes. Smash the idols. Smash and destroy all of the things that are cheating us out of beholding you, reflecting you, knowing you, having you, seeing you. Because, God, you are worthy of it all. We want you, God. And we know the only place we can find you and see you is in your son, Jesus. And you've given him to us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we get a chance to know Jesus and to make him known. God, be with this church. Lift the burdens. Whatever it is, Lord God, that has been our history, our experience, our custom to turn to after today may that come to an end in Jesus name and I pray right now that you would supply those dear individuals here in this room who are gripped by the message with the with a, a measure of your Holy Spirit that will enable them to see their lives changing in ways that they've never known God may today be that day for that dear person and those dear souls Lift them up, Lord God, from whatever it is that's robbing them. Strengthen them, I pray. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's give the Lord a praise. We're here to pray with you. If there's any prayer or anyone you would like to connect with or talk with on a meaningful level about these things, we're here. In any case, please meet and greet. God bless you, and again, happy Easter.